At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. I've been doing this series under the theme, Believing God for the Best. And in that series, I've been teaching you, I've been presenting to you about spiritual disciplines, spiritual disciplines. The first spiritual discipline was listening to the voice of God. God will hear God, he still speaks. We have to listen. Then the second discipline had to do with the power of baptism. The power of baptism, when you're baptized, like the people were baptized today, there are some spiritual implications that follow being baptized. Then the third discipline had to do with um, celebrating Holy Communion. Next Sunday would be the first Sunday, and we're going to take Holy Communion, but it ought to mean something to you, and you ought to recognize the depths of its meaning in your life. And then the, the uh, next discipline, or the fourth discipline, uh, had to do with um, walking in the spirit of forgiveness. You can't receive what you won't give. And you have to release in order to receive. If God has shown you grace, you ought to show grace to others. And then uh, the fifth discipline on last Sunday I talked to you about um, feeding on the word of God, feeding on the word of God. Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I've been in, I've been in the desert all week. I had to go to Phoenix, Arizona for a pastor's conference and uh, it was a rich experience. And while I was in the desert, um, God blessed me to go ahead and finish writing the other two disciplines. So the sixth discipline is going to be on solitude. Solitude and quietness. And when I teach that to you, I want to talk about making room for God. Make room for God. Then the seventh discipline, and that's going to wrap this series up for this time. You never, you never plumb the depths of spiritual disciplines. You just talk about it for a minute. You can always come back and deal with it even more. But the seventh discipline is going to be on submission. Submission. And when I teach that lesson, I'm going to talk to you from the idea, let God have his way. You got to let God have his way. And that would be all seven disciplines. The Lord blessed me, Justin, to finish writing both of them while I was in the desert. 
But while I was in the desert, the Lord gave me a type of, might I say, special impartation on the revelation that he's speaking into this house. Because I told you at the close of 23, and as we moved into 24, I said to you that God's going to bless you in such a way that you will know for sure that it's God. Because it's going to be so magnanimous, you're going to have to say that God and God alone did this. I've been saying to you that every house that's in alignment with this house, that you're going to experience increase and elevation. I said to you that God wants us to get rid of the debt in this house because he wants us to be able to do more in his name for the establishment and the expansion of the kingdom of God in the world. So every house that's in alignment with this house, not only is the mortgage liquidated at this house and the debt removed, but the debt will be removed from your house. And I'm not one given to just be talking to be talking. And so we've already had testimonies of people within the congregation who've come back to say, Pastor, it has already happened for me. So I'm declaring this word, believing God for the best. Now that statement, believing God for the best, it's not a motivational slogan. No, it is a word. It is an oracle from God. It is a word of revelation. It's a word of spiritual impartation. It is a rhema word. It is a life application word. It's the kind of word that when you receive it, if you're in touch with God, it changes the living of your days. In this year, 2024, I am believing God for the best. The best years are ahead of me. And what what God did for me in the desert this week, he gave me a revelation, a word from this book, the Bible, to give to you so we can make connection between what God spoke in this house. Because God said, tell them to believe me for the best. And then God says, now these disciplines that I have been giving you, when you finish Walter, all, all of them, it would be a total of seven that you would have taught the people. I want to give you a word, Walter, so the people can make connection 
between what God spoke over this house with his word now confirming what he spoke so you understand that when you take these seven disciplines and you apply them to your life you have reason to look for a change I understood the seven disciplines I applied the seven disciplines so I've got a reason to anticipate miracles, signs, and wonders because what the disciplines did is the disciplines brought me into alignment with God. What, what the disciplines did is they positioned me to receive what God wants me to experience. Because oftentimes it's not that God does not purpose to bless you. The problem is you are out of position to receive it. <laughs> because as quiet as it's kept, God wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed. Kyle Eidemann, he's the current pastor of Southeast Christian. He followed Dave Stone. Dave Stone followed uh, Bob Russell. Cal Eidelman is now the current pastor and he's a pastor and he's a Christian writer. He's written several books and one of the books that Cal Eidelman has written is a book entitled Not a Fan. Not a Fan. Cal Eidelman in his book he says that the problem of most churches is that many church people they want to be a fan of Jesus but they don't want to be a follower of Jesus. It's like the people who go to the football stadium and who go to the basketball arena to watch a football game or a basketball game. They, they, they're fans. They're, they're fans. They, they go for one reason and one reason alone, to be entertained. But Kyle Eidelman says that God, he ain't looking for fans. He's looking for followers. And so the classic statement that Jesus gave about those who would be his disciples, you read it in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus says, if any man, if any woman would be my disciple, let them what? First, deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. What Jesus is looking for, he's looking for followers, not fans. So that raises some questions for us, does it not? Questions like, Walter, why, why did you come here this morning? Why are you here? You were here last Sunday, you are here today. Hopefully you'll be here next Sunday. But why are we here? What do you want to experience while you're here? Are we here simply because of we want God to give us something? 
And maybe what we want him to give us is not even spiritual. We just want God to give us some more stuff. I, I wonder sometimes uh, about church people how much credibility or integrity lies in who we say we are. Because it looks like that many church people, they just want God to give them some more stuff. A house, car, clothes, money. And when they talk about I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord, they're talking primarily about materialistic things. And the issue I have with that, if that's the only way and the primary way you see yourself as being blessed, the issue I have with that is I know a lot of people who have no relationship with God. And like the way you just got excited about the name Jesus, that would not excite them. And, and right now, they got more house, they got more money, clothes, cars, whatever, materialistic. They got more right now than you probably will ever have in your life. But they don't profess to be a Christian. So it suggests to me that if I'm blessed, my blessings have to be broader and deeper than some things. So if I'm coming to church, is it my primary objection to look at what is in God's hand or am I looking at what's on God's heart? And I think God wants me to look at his heart more than his hands. Because I think God is saying to me, Walter, I want you to want me more than the things I provide for you. Mm -hmm. So the Christian faith, and I've said this to you many times, the Christian faith is not about religion, is not about rules, is not about regulations, is not about rituals. So pastor, if the Christian faith is not about religion, it's not about uh, rules and regulations and rituals, what is it about? It's about a personal relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. A personal relationship. And a relationship where God wants you to keep developing in your spiritual formation. So this is what Jesus says in John 10:10. 10, 10. In John chapter 10 verse 10, Jesus says, "The thief cometh not but to steal, kill and destroy." I want to remind about three of you all that the devil ain't playing with you. You you may think he's just going through the motion, but child, he wants to take you out. And he'll do everything within his powers to do it. He wants to take you out. Jesus says he comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. And then Jesus says, but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly.
And when Jesus speaks of life, it is the Greek word zoe. Now there's a word for life called bios. And bios just means physical life. It just means the, the expression of your life in terms of your physicality, your body, flesh, physical life, bios. But zoe is not talking about this flesh. Zoe, when Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly, he's talking about Zoe, and that is a God-qualified life. See, this life I live in this house, this flesh, you can do that, and it's called existing. I need you to help me teach this. I need you to look at somebody right now and tell them, Anybody can exist, but you got to learn how to live. I just told you something. I'm going to say it again. Anybody can exist, but you have to learn how to live. Jesus says, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. The abundant life is God giving me what money can't buy. The abundant life is my living with what time can't take and death cannot destroy. I'm living with abundant life, but Walgreens does not have a prescription to fill it. I'm living with the abundant life, but you won't find it on the shelf at Kroger's or Myers or Publix is <laughs> God given it is the faith the hope the love the joy the peace the purpose the power the assurance the confidence the anointing the mercy the grace the loving kindness the goodness that God and God alone can put into your life that will literally change the way you live. In Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 14, listen to what Paul says. Paul says, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he will grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Listen, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Stay with me, I'm going somewhere. See, everything I'm saying right now, this is a setup for you to shout I ought to be ashamed of myself for doing this because this, this is a real setup for what I'm about to show you this, I'm, just, I'm just preparing it now Jesus said I came that you might have life 
that you might have it more abundant. Paul says, I'm praying with everything I got that you might be filled with the fullness of God. For myself, I don't purpose to live an ordinary life. No. No, 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 no. Because I tell people I'm a Christian. I tell people I'm saved. I tell people my testimony is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So I'm testifying I got too much God in me to be ordinary. For me, I don't want to live my life going through the motion. <clears throat> For me, I don't want to live with a rumor. I want reality. I don't want to be a contradiction of who I say I am. I'm saved, I'm a Christian, I belong to God, but then I'm going to be pitiful. I'm going to be pathetic. I'm going to live in fear. I'm going to be fretful. I'm going to worry about this, that, and the other. I'm going to be weak. I'm not going to live with no direction, with no mission, with no vision. Oh, the devil is a lie. I want the life that Jesus said he came to give me. <clears throat> and I want the fullness of God in me. Because I want to be <clears throat> everything God said I can be. I want to receive everything God said I can have. I want to do everything God says I can do. Now, <clears throat> I want to believe that I'm not by myself. Is there anybody in this house who says, Pastor, I want all the God I can have. I want his fullness. I, I want the life Jesus said. I want to be who God said I can be, have what God says I can have, do what God... If you're on that street with me, could you just give me a wave offering? I don't want to assume anything. I, Pastor, I want it. I want it. And the good news is you can have it. I'm, I'm, I'm only about three minutes from Holland. I'm only about three minutes from Holland because all that I just told you was God giving me the runway, the runway for your plane to take off. Because what God, see, next Sunday I'm going to do the discipline solit uh, solitude. And then the, then the second Sunday in March, I'm going to do submission. And I will have completed all seven disciplines. But God gave me this particular word so that you can make the connection 
between the relevance of these disciplines, the relevance and the relationship of the disciplines to what God said concerning your life. Now what did God say concerning your life? He says, believing God for the best. That you can believe him for the best. So that wherever you are right now, something better is about to take place. <clears throat> so God says, well, to give them this word today so they will know according to my word that you wasn't just talking. That what you spoke over their life didn't come from you. It came through you. But what you did, you spoke what I told you to speak concerning their life. So I want to show them that what you told them was not a motivational slogan, but it was a word from the true and living God that's about to transfigure the living of their days. Have you noticed that I ain't told you to turn to a text for the, for the grounding of this word yet? Have you noticed that? Okay, now you can get ready to turn. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I love it. So I want you to turn to the first book of the Bible. The book of Genesis. I'm almost through. But I had to prepare the runway for the plane to take off. Now, those of you students of the Bible, you know that the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. Come on, everybody say it's the book of beginnings. Which means that everything that we come to know and understand in terms of biblical theology, the foundation of it is laid where? In the book of Genesis. Now, turn to Genesis chapter 2. Now, as you turn to Genesis chapter 2, I need you to do something. Turn to the person beside you and just give them your name. Just, just tell them your name. All right? Did you tell them your name? Now, you needed to do that so that if you start shouting and you go to the floor, that they can at least call you by your name. Okay, don't, don't miss your place to shout. It's coming. Here it is. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. That means like to be a steward over it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may, eat, you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God told Adam don't you get this down now because this is going to bless you God told Adam to do he told Adam to do to do something 
He told Adam, I want you to be a steward of the God, tend the God, keep the God, take care of the God. He told him to do. Now the problem is Adam disobeyed God. Sin came into the world because of disobedience. Touch every tree in the garden, Adam, but there's one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, leave it alone. Because the day that you do, you're going to die. There was a prohibition. And the, pro the prohibition was there because God says, your relationship to me is not to be mechanical. Your relationship to me is to be based on love and obedience. Now, if you disobey me, you're going to die. Now, Adam disobeyed, so we know death has to be more than physical death, the cessation of life, because Adam died, and yet he was still around. So death means I, the creature, gets separated from the creator. Because any time I try to be something other than what God created me to be, I cease to be what God purposed for me to be. And the ramifications of my disobedience is I'm going to get put out of the garden. What did God tell Adam? He called him, God says to Adam, I want you to do. I want you to do. Now, Adam sins. Sin enters the world. As you keep going through Genesis, then God's going to destroy the earth because of the wickedness of mankind, and he destroys the earth with a flood. But Noah finds grace in the sight of God. So God saves Noah and his family. And then Noah gets drunk on the eve of reconstruction. Then you come up with the Tower of Babel. So mankind wants to build this tower because he wants to make his name great. But because mankind wants to make his name great, then God confounds their language. And then we come to Genesis chapter 12. Adam sins against God, it's a disruptive moment. The, the work becomes so wicked that God has to destroy it. it. It's a disruptive moment. They want to build a Tower of Babel, it's a disruptive moment. But whenever there is a disruptive moment, ooh, I need to, because I'm about to go in. Whenever there's a disruptive moment, God uses disruptive moments to give revelation. Okay, you, you may have missed that. Okay. Help me, Holy Ghost. God is a God of purpose. Can we agree on that? Yes. He's the God of purpose. And everything that God is in time, he is that in eternity. So if God is sovereign in time, yes. 
which means he's omnipotent, all power. He's omnipresent, everywhere at the same time. And he's omniscient, he knows everything. Then when Adam disobeyed him, it didn't surprise God or catch God off. God knew Adam was going to do what he did before he did it. So because God is a God of purpose, when Adam sinned, God says, but that's not going to stop me in fulfilling the purpose for which I created mankind. So the first prophetic word that God's going to fix it didn't come from Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah. The first prophetic word came from God himself in Genesis chapter 3. When God prophesies that I'm going to send a savior one day who will erase your errors. And then when, at, when, when the world gets so wicked that God has to destroy it, the reason why Noah found grace in the sight of God is because God says even when there's a disruptive moment, my purpose is still going to be fulfilled. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a revelation in the midst of your trouble. So that when the Tower of Babel happens, God says, every time you mess up, I'm just going to keep on giving revelation because I'm a God of purpose. So when you study this book called the Bible, from Genesis to the, to the last book called Revelation, there is in the Bible what we could call progressive revelation. Progressive revelation is where God continues to reveal himself to us again and again and again so we might understand the depths of his purpose for our lives, why we were created in the first place, and how God will get glory out of our lives in spite of our shortcomings. I'm one minute from shouting. Okay, again, what did God say to Adam? I want you to do something. Right? I want you to do something. Adam sinned. But when you get to Genesis chapter 12, the same God who spoke to Adam is the God who spoke to Abram, whom you come to know as Abraham. So now Genesis chapter 12, turn to it quickly. Genesis chapter 12, I'm almost through. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Listen carefully, I will make you. What did God say to Abraham? I will what? I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, I need you to make this connection. Adam told, God said to Adam, to do, to do. I want you to do something, tend to God, to do. Adam sinned against God. He let him down. But I want you to know 
that Abraham sinned as well. Because Abraham lied about his wife Sarah. He sinned. He lied about Sarah. Abraham got impatient along with his wife Sarah. So Abraham then has a child by the handmaid uh, Hagar, whose name would be Ishmael. But Ishmael was not the promised child. That was Isaac. He should have left Hagar alone. But he didn't. That's sin. So Adam sinned. And the same God that spoke to Adam spoke to Abraham. And Abraham sinned. But God told Abraham something different than what he told Adam. Because he told Adam to do. But to Abraham, he said, become. Your problem is you are focusing on doing when God wants you to focus on becoming. Holy Ghost, help them to get it. You and I, we're like Adam and we're like Abraham. But Adam do, Abraham become. And the scriptures are given to us through various stories and episodes for us to catch a revelation that is contained in Holy Scripture that helps us to see a rhema word flowing from the scriptures that we might walk in the will of God. I want to do, but so often in my wanting to do, I let God down. But I'm glad that when I let him down, he doesn't write me off. And what God tells me is don't lose sight of the big picture. Because even though you may miss the mark, you are always in the process of becoming. You might not be all that you ought to be, but you're not what you used to be. And you will fail to become if you keep on looking at what you want to do. God is telling us to become. Now, Abraham had to do something to become. God says, I want you to leave your home. Leave your family, leave your kindred, leave the place of your birth, leave your home. And I'm going to make you um, a great nation. And I'm going to make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God says become. But for Abraham to become, 
He's got to leave his home to go home. He's got to leave his home to go home. So the writer of Hebrews says, Abraham by faith looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. He has to leave his home to go home. I told Phyllis yesterday um, after the press service, Phyllis said to me, Pastor, I just want to thank you for being my pastor. She says, how you're blessing my life on this journey. And I said to Phyllis, um, I said, tomorrow that word's coming up. I said, because that's what God is reminding us of. All of us are on a journey. We're on a journey. Our foreparents put it like this. They said, I heard of a city called heaven and I decided to make heaven my home. They said, this world is not my home. They said, I'm just a pilgrim traveling, trying to make heaven my home. But to make heaven your home, you gotta leave home to go home. Now, I wanna help some of y'all today. I'm gonna help you. Because this is what you, haven't, you have not come to grips with. You, you haven't come to grips with your mortality. That's what you haven't settled. You think you're going to live always. And I'm sorry to have to inform you, you ain't. People say, pray for my friend because the doctor called them and told them that they were terminal. I got news for you. Everybody in here is terminal. So don't, don't, don't wait for a doctor to tell you that you're terminal. And when the day comes and he tells you you're terminal, don't let that frighten you or dis dis disturb you. You just tell him, doctor, I, I know that. I've been terminal for a long time. Because the moment you took your first breath and you go from growing from a child to a youth to an adolescent to a young adult to middle age to old adult to senior adult, you've been terminal all your life. Everybody will die unless the Lord Jesus comes back first. You just don't know when you're going to die. Some people lived, my mother lived to be 97. Most people don't live that long. And, and some people died 80. Some people died 60. Some people have died at 40. And unfortunately, we have young people who are dying in their 20s. A 15-year-old little girl was shot and killed just two weeks ago. Terminal happens at different times for different people for different reasons. Amen. The Bible says, God says, you know, I may give you three, three score years. You know, so 70, right, is what he says you might get. 
might. You might get 70. So I'm 68. My wife is 68. Baby, we in the fourth quarter. This ain't halftime. We, in fact, we deep in the fourth quarter. Amen. And if you pass 70, you in overtime. And if you 80, you in double overtime. You're getting close to, my mother, I told her, baby, you in triple overtime. Yeah, we're on a journey. So if you come to grips with the fact that you're going to die, it should change the way you look at life. Because you can't play with life if you know you're going to die. No wonder the psalmist says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So here it is, you in church today? You in church today? You breathing today? Do you think it was guaranteed? Do you think you were entitled to see this day? Somebody ought to recognize that my being here today is an expression of the goodness of God, the grace of God. So since I'm present and since I'm breathing and I don't have to be here, I think I will pause and give God a crazy praise. And, and so... And so the purpose of the disciplines is to help me on my journey to keep becoming. See, Abraham sinned, I told you. He lied about Sarah. He, he had a child through Hagar that he shouldn't have had. But when you get to Genesis chapter 21, Abraham is in another place because he kept becoming. And since he kept becoming, when God said to him, take Isaac and sacrifice him on Mount Moriah, he didn't even hesitate. He had so much trust in God, he said, ain't no problem, I'll do it. And at the bottom of the mountain, he told his young men, y'all stay here with the donkey. Isaac and I are going up Mount Moriah, but Isaac and I, we coming back down. That's a different Abraham than Abraham in chapter 12. Why? Because he kept on becoming. God does not want you to be the person you were in 23. God wants you to be a different person in 24. Because God says, I want you to keep on becoming. So listen to Paul. And I'm through. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, 
but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is Paul, who you first meet as Saul, but he has a conversion experience on the Damascus Road when he has a confrontation with Jesus. And when he testifies to the Christians at Galatia, Paul says, God changed my life. But then the same Paul that talks about how God changed his life, then you ought to listen to what Paul says then in Philippians, in Philippians chapter three, chapter three, verse 12. This is what Paul now says. He's saved, he's preaching, he's a missionary going all over the world bringing people to Jesus. And yet this Paul says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, meaning I have not arrived, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm saved, I ain't got there yet, but I keep becoming. Listen again to what Paul says. He says this for our benefit in chapter one of Philippians, verse six, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now I had some other scriptures I was gonna show you, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna save that for another day. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna cut across the field. Let me just give you this one scripture, uh, one more, in 1 John chapter three, 1 John, the epistle of John, 1 John chapter three, verse one, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when, we, that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. I spend my whole Christian journey, I spend my whole Christian journey, my whole life from the time I confess my hope in Christ to right now and every day I keep living, I just keep becoming what God wants me to be. When I told you that God said, believe me for the best. In this year, 2024, God is saying to you and I, believe him for the best. And you can have it. I said, you can have it. This is not a motivational speech. It is a word that God is declaring over your life. Miracles, signs, and wonders, deliverance, healing, blessings beyond measure. But in order for us 
to experience it, then we have to take these seven disciplines and apply them to our lives. Because what God's going to do for you, it ain't happening by accident. It's happening by divine intentionality for every person who comes into alignment with God, which means you can't carry his name and not live the life. Seven disciplines. First one, listen to the voice of God. He speaks, I listen. Second discipline is the power of baptism. Because when I was baptized, there were some implications. And there's a power that I have that can enable me to become what God wants me to be. Third discipline is the celebration of Holy Communion. Because Holy Communion ratifies my oneness with God because I'm covered by the blood. The fourth discipline is going to be um, that I have to forgive others as God has forgiven me. The fifth discipline is that I am going to feed on the word of God. Everything I gave you this morning, it ain't my opinion, it ain't speculation. It's pure word that becomes a rhema word. Next Sunday, I'm going to give you the sixth discipline, and it is solitude, quietness. You got to get somewhere and sit down and get quiet and make room for God. The last discipline will be the second Sunday, and it is the discipline of submission. I have to surrender to him and say like Jesus, Father God, not my will, but thy will be done. The people represent the church no matter where we are. So stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ.